the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. A lot of conversation, obviously, about the superstar hire in College Station. We got business to take care of before we can deal with the shenanigans that is the Texas A&M coaching staff with the arrival of Bobby Petrino. We'll get to that after the business at hand. The business at hand is giving the people what they want, and that is our matchups to watch in Georgia TCU, the college football playoff national championship game. The X factors in Georgia TCU, our best bets, and yes, Lots of different ways uh, to handicap this game. Lots of different ways to lay out how we think it's going to go. It is our big Georgia TCU National Championship game preview. And I thought, if you guys don't mind, it would be fun to start with a question. Because Georgia Bulldogs being here, not a surprise. Not not at all. They are the reigning national champions. They were among the top favorites to be uh, to win it once again. Georgia being here is not a surprise. TCU had 200 to 1 odds to win the national championship at the start of the year. TCU was picked 7th, 7th in its own conference in the preseason media poll. So I wanted to ask, at what point in this campaign did you start to believe in TCU? You know, was it when you saw them go on that run of all the second half comebacks? Was it the Texas game? Was it the comeback against Baylor? When you just start to be like, man, I don't know, this, this they might be a, on something special here. Or was it maybe not until the Michigan game? When did you start to believe in TCU and the fact that this could be a team that plays for the national championship? When the clock hit zero against Michigan is when I started to believe they could actually play for the national championship, I guess. Um, I mean, I was a pretty big TCU believer this year when they were picked. I think this whole show kind of was was pretty pro TCU. They were picked seventh in the Big Twelve, not by us. Like some of us took them twenty eight to one to win the Big Twelve. Others, like Lee said, hey, like that's a legit possibility. 
they've done a really good job in the transfer portal. I think we love the hires that Sonny Dykes made on both sides of the ball and Riley and Gillespie. But you know, talent-wise, they got a lot of really good college football players on there. And they got some dudes who will play in the NFL. But I mean, the math is the math. And this is the largest spread in college football playoff history for a reason, right? A lot of people still don't believe in these guys. So I'm I'm really excited to watch this matchup. I, I think the important part of the question is when did you believe they would play for a national title yeah. versus Not when did you believe they right. could win the national title? When, when that latter that part? Could, yeah, when did you believe they could like get there? That this that this incredible run with all of these uh all, overcoming all these hurdles, overcoming all these deficits, like like for me, but my answer is the Baylor game because that was incredible. Baylor had them out. And they just kind of willed this thing back. And it was just another example of you know what kind of season this had been for them. And I was like, I don't know, man, they could ride this all the way to the playoff and you know, maybe even win a game. I think that's a great point, Chip. Like that especially the, the way they came back and the way they were getting manhandled by, by Baylor's offensive line early on. And then they found ways to just kind of stymie that in the second half, score their own points. That's yeah, if I had to pick a game before the before well, the I mean, do you remember the fire drill? That was yeah. bananas. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was like. I was just this like, is oh. a well-coached veteran team. Like yeah. they don't beat themselves that much. They really don't. I I think for me it was when they beat Texas. I didn't think that they could get to the national title game so much as I had spent so much of the season, like they were winning week after week. But as you mentioned, Chip, like, you know, it was like comebacks and crazy kind of wins. And they were getting in these shootouts. And then they went on the road to Austin and they were playing Texas in a game that we all thought was going to be a shootout. Like well, I'm Bichon pretty sure had run for a billion yards the year before. And yeah, and I'm pretty sure I locked up the over in that game and it was 17 to 10 and it was a low scoring defensive kind of rock fighty kind of game. And when I saw them on the road against Texas able to win that game, I was like, huh, okay, no, maybe they aren't going to lose one of these games. Cause I kept waiting for the, like not to completely fall apart but i was waiting for him to lose a game and i figured once tcu lost a game in the regular season that was probably going to be the end of its playoff hopes for all you know intents and purposes based on the way the thing was but then they won that texas game and i was like oh okay i think this team is going to win the big 12 they didn't but they got to the big 12 championship undefeated so the loss in that game was you know it sucked for not winning the conference but didn't keep them out of the playoff so I would say the Texas game is when I actually thought, oh, wow, this team could reach the playoff, which once you reach the playoff, you've got a chance to play for the national title. I so I do my, you know, top 12 every Sunday that I put out. And you guys know I always put the undefeated teams at the top. So I'd love to say I was at the early part of saying TCU could go to the playoff. But even looking back, like if if I got you know pushback on Twitter, I'd be like, well, they'll just lose if they're not supposed to be in the playoff. So even as I was putting them, I had them at five October sixteenth. You know, I had them at three early November, which was way higher than a lot of people had it. But at the time, you know, you get clapbacks from some teams that I had them ahead of, and I'm like, well, if they're not that good, they'll they'll lose. And then they keep surprising me as well. I think it has to be the the Texas and the Baylor combo. You know, those two games back-to-back, once they beat Texas the way they did as a touchdown underdog, and they were able to shut down B. John Robinson, and then they avoided the letdown barely with the last-second field goal, you're like, all right, why not this team? But even still, I'd kind of echo what Bud said. 
Like the minute the clock hit zero against Michigan, when was you're like, all right, because I thought Michigan was going to win. I and mean, then most people, there was a couple people that picked them, but I thought Michigan was going to win that game. So I'm still surprised they're here. So I don't, I don't know if I could ever say there was a moment that I believe they could win the national championship because I don't know if I do. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into the matchup first when TCU uh, has the ball and is moving against this vaunted Georgia defense, a TCU team that is one of the best in the country when it comes to the home run play. We are still waiting the, uh, the availability of Contre Miller, but as we mentioned in Wednesday's show, DeMarcado did a great job filling in for him against Michigan. So what are the matchup points? Where is this part of the battle going to tip one way or the other? What is important for TCU's offense and or Georgia's defense to execute when those two units are on the field? Can you cover Quentin Johnston? Because this is, I, I, I'm sure you guys know, because we've been prepping for this, but if you just ask the general kind of college football fan who isn't a TCU fan, who isn't a Big 12 fan, who the second leading receiver on TCU is, do you guys know? Darius Davis? Davis, right? As far as receptions, yes. Yards-wise, okay. it's Tay Barber. Tay Barber. Yeah. yeah, it's most people don't really know who the second and third receiver on TCU is because while they've been productive, Johnston has been, you know, the alpha. He's the guy that's getting nearly, you know, over half the target share. He's the guy that's getting, you know, all, all the big plays, all that kind of stuff. So I think what George's plan is going to be defensively is like they have to take Johnston out and then force TCU to beat them with everybody else. And also, I mean, this isn't matchup wise. I guess this would be more game planning wise, but force Duggan to stay over the middle. Agreed. I, I, so one of the things here, I, I actually like this matchup, I think, and, and maybe I'll live to regret what I'm about to say and, and get well, actually, and old takes exposed and whatnot. I don't hate the matchup here for Ringo on Johnston, right? Johnston's a really good athlete, but Ringo and he are similar in that they're both like linear, bigger athletes. I, I don't love Ringo against guys who have like great change of direction, you know, smaller frame that that force that force Ringo to stop start. So I, I'm really interested because both these guys are kind of built similarly. Like they both have good long speed. They're both long players. They're both pretty jacked. So like that to me is a probably a better matchup for Ringo than some of these dudes who are better stop start change of direction types. I, I'm very interested in that. I also like I do think it's a, a Decent advantage for Georgia that Georgia got to see how TCU attacked Michigan because Michigan is not a conventional Big 12 style defense, right? And they, they got them with some formation stuff in the run game. They got Michigan in the first half, at least I thought, tipping their rotations a little bit early. And so Duggan was able to ID that. So maybe, and we'll see how, how Georgia responds to tempo. But those would be some of my things to look for. Like, does Georgia stay in their looks longer? And can Georgia play the run on the way to the passer? I, I, I go back to what we talked about in the offseason when Kirby Smart did his Nike Coach of the Year talk, and he said, we used to think stop the run first. Now we think pass rush first, stop the run second, which if you still watch Georgia, I'm not even sure I buy that, but at least he said it, right? So can they, can they fo focus on stopping TCU's pass and limit the run enough? And like for quick qualification, when you're talking about tipping the rotations, it is the adjustments that a defense makes right before the ball is snapped. Yeah, right. And that is one thing that you, you should be able to watch for because Duggan was then able to make some adjustments. And when Bud's talking about staying in your looks longer, George is going to wait till the very 
very last second, and then you'll see uh, some movement along those back sevens to deal with the coverage. I'm torn on this one because, you know, we were looking at matchups. I had I was either going to say it's Quentin Johnston versus Georgia's secondary is one of the crit- most critical matchups, or it's every other receiver on TCU versus Georgia's secondary, right? Because if Georgia does decide to bracket you know, coverage with Quentin Johnston or they have safety help, which all things they probably will have in their game plan. There's a couple counters. One, formationally, you can try to avoid that situation by moving Quentin Johnston in motion, which I think they'll try to do. But the times when they do bracket him, I think that's going to provide a lot of opportunity for TCU's other receivers to come up with plays. And I, I think like I almost... I, I think Georgia's good enough, and what Bud was saying about how they've seen some of these formations, they're not going to get caught with their pants down, like, uh-oh, we got a single on Quentin Johnston, like, let's cross our fingers. I feel they'll be more ready to adjust so they don't get stuck in man-to-man with Quentin Johnston, and they'll be more willing to say, we'll go man with some of these other guys against these other athletes, and that's where I think TCU's role receivers, the other guys at receiver, are going to have to step up. and. You know, I look back at um, Davis, or was it Bar? I think it was Tay Barber who had the big game against Baylor when Quentin Johnston was out. Like they've got some guys that mm-hmm. did pick up the slack when Johnston was out. But I do think, yeah, if you could pick your shots and Quentin Johnston has a couple big plays, that'd be phenomenal. But I don't know if he's just going to go off for one fifty plus with two or three touchdowns. You know, you know what I mean. I just don't know if Georgia, with all the film they've got is going to let them formation and motion them into bad spots. And going back to the semifinal with TCU's offense, like the one thing that really surprised me in that game, like we talked about it in the buildup, Michigan's pass rush this year was not nearly as good as it was last year, but it was a lot better than it looked in that semifinal game. I thought TCU did a great job of just completely kind of stymieing Michigan's pass rush and also getting the ball out quickly. Because I don't think there, if I, I don't think Michigan had a single tackle for loss in that game. I know they didn't have a sack, and I think that is something that is going to be key to this one too for that offensive line. Because Max Duggan, like the numbers and just your eyes, kind of tell you he gets sacked a lot, and it's not usually the offensive line's fault. I think Duggan takes a little too much time. Like if his first read isn't there, he takes a little too long to get to the second read to make his decision of what he wants to do after that. And I think that's why it's so pivotal for the Quentin Johnson thing, because that's usually your first read as far as Quentin, get him the ball. So I think if you're Georgia defensively, you want to keep Duggan in the pocket. You want to take away the kind of the outside of the numbers, force him to stay with inside and just kind of keep him hemmed in. Don't give him running lanes to escape. So it's weird, but you were mentioning how George's Kirby says, you know, we're more worried about stopping the pass and then we'll take care of the run after it. I think you kind of have to do both here. I think you have to maintain your lanes in the center to keep Duggan from getting those escape routes to keep plays alive because he will hold on to the ball and you can get to him if you do. So if you watch like what LSU did in the second half of, of, of the game against Georgia, and part of that was kind of garbage time-esque, and, and what Ohio State did a lot, they they moved the pocket, like not just like like total boot action where you're going to the other side of the field, but they they, they got C.J. Stroud like off his initial like expected launching point. So they moved it a little bit. I think that messed with, with, with some of Georgia's angles when they decided to blitz. They also, man, I mean, they were in a lot of seven-man protections. You know, like they're running a lot of, of, of three-man routes and they were finding open space because they were able to block Georgia. I think Georgia's a little bit concerned about, about some of the, like, obviously, you know, Harrison. Once he went down, 
they were able to kind of play bracket on Ibuka and, and and put Ringo some on Johnson and, and he handled Johnson really kind of with ease. I'm kind of curious, like how much TCU moves the pocket here. And if like how much does Georgia actually want to blitz? Because Georgia's edge pass rush this year is not particularly good no. compared to normal Georgia standards. Interior-wise, you got to handle Jalen Carter. Ohio State did that well in part because Ohio State has two tackles that will be playing in the NFL next year and probably pretty damn high picks. So they did not need – like I think Ohio State said, hey. Double-team them on we, the interior. Right, mm-hmm. we, we, yeah. we spit on these Georgia edge rushers, not, not concerned. We're going to put our resources on the inside. Can TCU's tackles hold up? against Georgia's edge rush. Because if Georgia's getting edge pressure, you're pretty much toast. Because Jalen Carter will eventually get his if you can't put a lot of of manpower on him. One thing that Georgia, to my lightly trained, unskilled eye, they swarm to the ball and they bring bodies down to the ground. They are just like such a good tackling team. And so that's why I just go back to the Michigan game how poor Michigan was bringing bodies to the ground and making plays in the open field. And I just think about this from the human perspective where it uh, Georgia just be you because Georgia doing the one thing, one of many things it's done very well all season, which is swarming to the ball and bringing bodies to the ground is going to be so important against this offense where some of these skill players are one missed tackle away from a 60 yard gain or a touchdown. You know, of the 163 yards that Quentin Johnson had, 111 were after the catch. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you have real – and, like, Darius Davis is an all-purpose everything. Guy, you know, runs back, punts, kicks. Like, if if he's got the kind of breakaway speed that if you come soft and he's able to shed you off, then it's going to be a problem. Tay Barber, extremely athletic. So, as, as I'm looking at it, it's, uh, it's a funny thing to try and consider the human aspect of Georgia, the reigning national champion, still undefeated. If they come in – with any slight slip up in execution, like it's going to be a problem. I mean, that is one of the paths for TCU to be able to really make this hairy. And so for me, when Georgia's defense is out there, I feel like one of my if I'm a Georgia fan, I just I want to see what I've seen all year because this is the last team that you can afford to be sloppy when it comes to bringing down these playmakers in the open field. All right, let's flip it to the other side. When Georgia's offense is out there, Stetson going up against the Horned Frogs. He threw an interception against Ohio State. Obviously made up for it, throwing the game winner uh, and and playing well down the stretch for the Bulldogs. TCU's defense delivered two pick sixes, a one-score win against Michigan. Um, It is a, a TCU defense that we've detailed a lot here on the Cover 3 podcast. We have praised the coaching of Joe Gillespie. And we were concerned about how that group was going to look against Michigan's offensive line. TCU stopped the run. Like TCU did a good job. Out to, they had that one run, the very first offensive snap of the game. Donovan Edwards breaks free, and you're like, okay, this is about to be a beatdown city. <laughs> yeah. But after you take out that run, rest of the game, TCU's defense did a really good job of uh, against that offensive line that we've had high praise for. So. How do you think TCU's defense is going to fare against another elite offensive line and against another like bruising, you know, physically punishing, ruthlessly efficient offense in the Georgia Bulldogs? I'm is this not, where the game is won, by the way? Georgia yeah. offense versus TCU defense? Yeah. yeah. It's going to come down to how many stops TCU can get because I do think TCU will be able to move the ball somewhat against this Georgia offense and be able to score because I think offensively they're they're too good not to but 
I don't know how many stops they're going to get because, I mean, going back to the semi, there were two pick sixes, which are huge, huge stops. You know, it's more than stops. You get 14 points out of it. It was not a 14-point game. So if you take that away, you know, Michigan kind of wins that game. So I just don't know, like based on the run defense, you're right. They did do a tremendous job of stopping Michigan's rushing attack. If they can do that again against this Georgia t- team, I think they're going to win because I, I, Stetson deserves far more credit than he gets because he's become a much better player over time. He's improving and he can beat you in the passing game. It's just, I don't think you could put it on Stetson and say, go out there and win a shootout and have him do it and expect him to do it every single time because he is still somewhat limited. But defensively, when you look at this TCU team, you'd rather attack them on the ground than in the air because that's where they've been weaker is against the run, particularly in the interior of their line. Like they do a pretty, considering the weakness of a 3-3-5 defense is supposed to be, you know, when teams go to two tight ends and just kind of getting them out of their gaps. On the outside, like outside the tackles, they actually do a pretty decent job of slowing you down in the run game. Inside, like between the guards in the center and the A gaps and the B gaps, they are not nearly as good. They were very good against Michigan, though. So that's going to be what's interesting to me. Can they plug those holes? Can they force Georgia to get, try to get to the outside and you know get them going sideways? It's just generally a, a good philosophy when it comes to stopping the run. Good and horizontal, not vertical. You know, if Michigan had not, I guess you say, wasted the first like 20 minutes of that game trying to run more traditional stuff and they had gone to their shot plays earlier, I think we're probably talking Georgia-Michigan in this ballgame. Once Michigan was like, all right, McCarthy really can't read this stuff. We just need to try to like just just run shot. Team Ronnie like, Bell open, like yes, just like do whatever we can. Roman uh, Wilson, forty yeah. yards down the field. That's one of the main problems when playing TCU is that they create so much confusion, both for your pass game and for your run game, because like like a lot of this college offense stuff, you're reading a lot of stuff pre-snap, and you try to against the the three three five, but there's so much movement post snap that you really need to be decent at reading this stuff out post-snap. And a lot of guys don't do that well. McCarthy did that poorly in this game. And we're like, all right, well, our solution to this is just hard play action. We also hit the uh, the flea flicker play. Stetson is interesting here because he's not a great outside the hashes thrower, but he is a very good thrower of that sort of dig where he's got to lay it over the backer in front of the safety. He needs to ID where those safeties are going to be. I think this is really a game where getting A.D. Mitchell back and having Arian Smith back can help because there's some guys on TCU's secondary that are pretty damn good, and there's some guys you can just flat out run by. And if Michigan can run run by those guys on play action, Arian Smith was a state champ in the state of Florida in track. That is like fast, fast, and A.D. Mitchell ain't slow. I think that's where it really could help you here with the hard play action stuff. And I think if you're Georgia, like let Stetson run around some, scramble all you want, Throw some shot plays. That I, I think that's really kind of key, especially if Washington doesn't end up playing. And I like that you saw. I, I like for Georgia if you, that you saw what TCU did to Michigan because they like run game wise they're kind of similar. They run a lot of counter. Mm-hmm. They run a lot of puller stuff. TCU is chasing those pullers. You're, you're seeing guys just flat out block the wrong guy. Um, I think having nine days and and, and the, the Michigan tape should help Georgia some here. I think so, too. I think TCU's uh, defense has to be opportunistic, just like they were against Michigan's offense. You know, they had a couple pick sixes. They've got to create turnovers and force some confusion into Bennett or 
strip the ball carriers. But I think Brock Bowers is the one guy because I, I don't know, even with the guys healthy, I think I think TCU's secondary is pretty good. I know they got torched in that game, but I, I don't like of Georgia's wide receivers, even AD Mitchell being back, they all in a season, they haven't been that scary. But Brock Bowers, I think, is a scary matchup. With or without Darnell Washington, like if they're both out there, then I think it becomes like a nightmare for TCU to try to slow them down. Without him, I still think it's a bad dream. Like you got to try to and think about not only through the pass game, he's a run threat too. With how much they'll run the little inside handoffs to him, little you know speed sweeps, kind of him coming around. So I think Brock Bowers is the guy to watch out for in this game to see if TCU has an answer for him because that's a position that's just tough. And when you look at TCU's defense. I don't know if there's a guy that you look at. It's going to really have to be a group effort. And I do think, you know, Stetson Bennett, he's been really good all season long. He was great in the fourth quarter, but he wasn't great the whole game. You know, I had a couple tip balls. Like, there's there's going to be some opportunities to create some turnovers. And I think TCU has to maximize them. And, and not only either, if they don't get a pick six, they've got to score off the turnovers when they get good field position. So that's, that's another thing, too, because it's like it's one of those weird intangible things that it's hard to quantify. But you think back to last year's title game, Stetson really wasn't that great in that game either until like late. The very end. Until winning time. Right. Last week, he wasn't that great until winning time. This is a quarterback that we have seen in these huge games. Because like if, if Georgia wins this and Bennett plays well over the last two years, he will have beaten, what, three either Heisman winners or finalists in the college football playoff? It would be what it was Bryce Young won last year, CJ Stroud last week, and Max Duggan this week. So he's kind of got that, you know, the the moxie oh, yeah. kind of thing, yeah. the confidence. Like, no, but seriously, he's got know, that kind of demeanor where when he's in that situation, he's been there. And it's interesting too, because Max Duggan and TCU this year have been in a whole lot of situations where late in games they have to come back and finish strong to win. And they're, you know, they're playing from behind. So but well, they haven't done it with this much at stake yet, if, if if that makes any sense. So it'll be strange to see. I think that's going to be a huge matchup. I mean, it's it's so overly cliched, but I do think it's going to come down the way this game, I expect it to go, because I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I just think TCU is blowout proof at this point, even if it loses. Everything I've seen from that team all year, it's like, nah, nobody's blowing them out. I think it's going to come down to which quarterback plays the best in the fourth quarter. The only team that really was on the way to blowing them out was, was Kansas State before the quarterbacks got hurt, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I I wonder how much thing, will they take Stetson out? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! If Stetson Bennett leaves the game with an injury, and we've got another backup quarterback, if Stetson leaves with an injury, live bet TCU no matter what the score or the line <laughs> yeah. is because that is the formula. No what doubt. What if Quentin Johnston goes out? Like, isn't that the other side of this? Because Ohio's, or, you know, yeah. Georgia's had some pretty good success against teams that haven't mm-hmm. had their wideouts either. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Don't don't let him get knocked out in the inside. The game's going to come down to who gets hurt, Stetson Bennett or Quentin Johnson. <laughs> is, this, is this ACC refs? Because, like, the oh, SEC, yeah. SEC refs oh, no. had, had, the, uh, had the title or had the, the Fiesta Bowl, and that, that, was, uh, that was interesting. ACC um, refs, uh, that gets decided because it's always one of the conferences that don't have any teams in the playoff. That gets assigned off the bat. It will be ACC officials. ACC refs are ruining the seasons for ACC teams to ensure that they get to call the title game. Stay woke. <laughs> now, get a bonus. <laughs> so Garrett Riley has never faced Kirby Smart, right? Don't but his brothers so. faced him. His brothers had success too, including yeah, in that Rose Bowl. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm kind of curious. Like, if, you know, Lincoln's not really doing anything this week. I, I, I would assume. Um, 
But what if they're like Aaron Jordan Rodgers? What if they don't talk? Oh yeah. No, they're we've they're tight. <laughs> yeah, they're tight. Link it Link's Link's been on as he's been on the award circuit with Caleb, everybody's been asking him about Garrett. The the love is real there. You gotta make that call, right? Like, all right, hey, hey, what 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 worked? What did you think should have worked? Or you go back and look at the film and then you ask him, hey, you know, here's what we looked at. Here's what I saw. Is this what you were thinking? And this is what you tried to expose. Yeah. Um, for TCU's defense, my player to watch, not that he individually could do enough against uh, Bowers, but D winners, the linebackers, absolutely phenomenal. Um, just a, a dude who's been there a long time. He's a great athlete. He's a big time playmaker. And I, I look at the second level and I think about who's going to be able to come up with that strip. Because, look, Stetson's got seven interceptions on the season. When he gets out there running, he's a little bit loose with that ball. He tries to do the stanky leg, and he just lets it hang out there. That's where I'm looking for number 13 on TCU's defense, where it's like, if you can go and strip that, like you can you can have a 14-point swing. It might not be the pick six, but if you come up with a big stop, you get the ball back uh, in a, a situation where Georgia's about to score, those are – those are the places where I see this opportunistic TCU defense potentially being able to get something done for sure. We, we talk about recruiting and about find the duck, right? And like, there are certain guys on TCU's defense who are legitimately like really good and would play at a Georgia. Like like the ULM Travis, kid, they got Newton. Travis yeah. Hodges Tomlinson no would doubt. start. I think, Bud, I think Bud Clark's pretty damn good. You can't tell me that Newton wouldn't start on Georgia's defense. Right. But there are some guys in TCU secondary that Michigan just flat out ran by. Okay, like they ran by number four, uh, Obiezor. I hope, I hope I'm saying that right. I was watching the. There's no sound on the the 22. They ran by Bradford. They ran by Perry. Those are the guys that Georgia's going to try to get their speed dudes singled up against. And if Michigan's guys can run by them, I'm damn sure Georgia's guys can too. If they can get them singled up, and then that's something that's like, it's not hard to ID the wide open guy, right? <laughs> if you if you string it down the field. Yeah, like Bradford, somebody like, you know how the, when you look at stats, it's like passes defended. And you'll see like on all American teams, like defensive backs with a ton of passes defended get voted on teams. But it's like there are two guys that break <laughs> up a lot of passes. There are the guys that are just great. Right. And you can't complete a pass on them. And then there are the dudes who are breaking up passes because they're getting targeted all the time. Bradford's Brad, got a ton of passes. Bradford, to me, falls into the ladder. Kit. Not that he's a bad player. It's just right, a right. coverage compared to his teammates. That is somebody I feel like most teams are going to target over the other guys that they have available. Um, also, there were a lot. If Georgia could go with the PI offense here, this is a handsy secondary. Um, like they came up with the pick sixes, but they also got flagged for a lot of defensive pass interferences and holding penalties. Um, they 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 are very aggressive in a way that is obviously has led to them being successful. But and if. If you're a crew that's not like in the SEC, they're a little more liberal, letting you phys play physical some of the defensive back ace. You know, it is a factor. 100%. Anything else for uh, when we are looking at the Georgia offense against the TCU defense? I just think both. I think one that we kind of, I think it's stating the very obvious for both teams. It's just the line of scrimmage. Like it's the physicality of Georgia. And, and Sonny Dykes was very open about saying, no one said we could handle the physicality of the Big Ten. You got to go show you can do it against the SEC too. Like to me, there will be a size athlete advantage for Georgia. How does TCU handle it? I love these head coaches. How oh, many? Dude, yeah, these are two, two 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 guys I like to hear talk about ball. How many three three five defenses is Georgia seeing in the SEC? One like Arkansas. And they, and, no, no. Uh, 
Uh, Arnett runs at Mississippi State. Yeah. Okay. So did Georgia play them this year? They did. They uh, they okay, smoked so them on the road after screwing around in in the red zone. Um, they actually run it a little differently. Yeah, because like that's the one thing that I, I'm trying to go back and I might be wrong, but I don't think Michigan faced one during the regular season. We saw how the game plan that they had early in that game kind of impacted them. We saw McCarthy struggle to figure it out. And then, like you say, that the second half, they were doing completely different things. They're having a lot more success. It'll be interesting to see if Georgia and Stetson in particular struggle with figuring out what TCU is doing early in this game. If they do. I think we're going to have a really good game. I think an upset is possible. If they don't, and like you said, they faced it at Mississippi State, so maybe they have a better idea of what they're going up against. It's going to be tough for TCU. Remember in our Michigan TCU preview when we when we basically all agreed, like, look, TCU is a really good off-speed type pitcher. Now, he can keep you off balance all the time. They kept Michigan off balance. Michigan was re- repeatedly allowing guys in her backfield. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's because he got physically beat. Most of the time, it's because you're blocking the wrong guy, and that's the whole mm-hmm. goal of defense. Like you get these guards chasing linebackers all over Hell's Half Acre, and then who, like, who's got this safety who's screaming down? Like, if Michigan could have figured out who to block consistently, I do think that they would have won that ball game. They did not, and that's to TCU's credit. Like, that's the whole point of running this thing. The same logic applies to Georgia. If they figure out who to block consistently, and they can ID it pre-snap, and it, you know they, they can while the play is, is going on, they'll win. Y'all yeah, ever, I mean, uh, Stetson's experience kind of wins out over what McCarthy had. Uh, um, yeah. Y'all ever watch the uh, the Coach 30 videos still? Yeah. Yes. The Michigan TCU one was good. <laughs> <laughs> just just <laughs> frying the Michigan defense. Uh, Brendan Clinton <laughs> at Mr. Go 30 on Twitter. Uh, always, always fun to go back after these college football games and see what Coach 30 has to point out in the film room. Coming up on the other side, we mentioned it. There's lots of different ways that this could be a blowout or this could be a close or even Tom Fernelli just said an outright upset. So where would we put our money? Our best bets for the college football playoff national championship game. And yes, yes, we got to talk about it. Bobby P, Jimbo, a match made in heaven. Next. Somewhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, time to get out our best bets for the college football playoff national championship game. As we are sitting right now, this thing opened at 13 and a half. It has moved towards 12 and a half. Some of those, you know, oddsy promo emails seem to say America's betting on the underdog. (laughs) Maybe. Are, is smart money going to bet on the underdog? Is this thing going to get hammered by the pros like on Monday and all of a sudden Georgia closes at 14 and a half? 
12 and a half is where we're at as we record this. 62 and a half is the total. Which way we want to attack this? Over. I said it last week when we were discussing the games. I am just giving in to college football playoff games having any defense. It doesn't exist anymore because it helps it helps you get to the college football playoff to have a great defense. But you need in this day and age of football, you need a great offense and we've seen it in the last few years. Great offense overcomes the defense every single time. I think we're going to have something of a shootout in this one. And I think that as long as it's under 63, my favorite play is the over. I was going to go under. Well, you're an idiot, so I don't know. How to, <laughs> I, I can't help you. I, they wasted all their touchdowns. Everybody wasted all of their touchdowns. You, I'm sorry. You spent all your touchdowns. Now, you, now you've only got this many chips left to be able to go and try to win a national championship. You've wasted all your touchdowns. This pod used to be known as a Georgia pod, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Lay them. <laughs> Just lay them. Yeah. Dogs, too much experience, too much physicality, all the things we talked about. Unless Stetson Bennett has a bad game, I think Georgia wins. And he might start out like we've talked about. He might struggle a little bit early, but I think he delivers in the end. I also think there's a chance that you could see – like. It played out great for TCU against Michigan. They jumped out, which is something we're not used to seeing with TCU against their better opponents. It was usually the other way. They'd fall behind. They'd come back. I think you see TCU kind of get behind and struggle to play catch-up for most of the game. I was on the under, too, because like I think if if you like TCU, go over. If you like Georgia, you go under. But I say why get complicated with it. Just take Georgia and lay the points. I do think it'll. it's going to be, if you like the under, I do not think it will be sweat-free. And that is my respect for Georgia's offense. Right. Like, I think Georgia's offense can go and get you 35, 38 points no matter what in this game. And the question is whether you think TCU is going to be there with 31, 34, you know, like right there in a blowout scenario like Tom's saying. Because as you start to game out the expected score of the way you think this is going to go, it's going to end up landing somewhere between, you know, 56 and 65 or so. Yeah, I I kind of like the under. I'm not betting it yet. I I think I'll I'll just get a better number live to be honest, and like there's a lot of spots you can bet live for the national title game, right? Um it would not surprise me here if Georgia just gets out early and then crockpots this thing and like that's kind of when I I, I want to bet the under here. Um if you also, I think TCU team total. Is there any, any, what do we have out there? Any 28s? Like 28 would be a nice number to get. 27, I think I'd probably also consider under opponent uh, numbers against Georgia this year 307, 22, 22, 10, 0, 20, 13, 19, 6, 14. LSU scored 30. That was kind of just like garbage a time. lot of garbage time scoring. Yeah. And then Ohio State, which I do think is a different caliber of athlete, uh, especially along the line of scrimmage than TCU did. They obviously put up a boatload of points. Uh, I really don't love anything pregame here. If I had to take a side, I would take Georgia. Uh, I just think, like, you could tell me TCU is a top 10 team, and I think I can buy that. But, like, there's no way my numbers can get to supporting TCU as a top five level team this year, like, power rating-wise. They're just not there. Um, Ohio State was still top three. So, I just think it's a different caliber of athlete playing on the field. And 
I think it'd be great for football TC one, but if I had to take a side, I'm taking Georgia. To Chip's point too, I don't know if everybody's on TCU at field, but everybody's rooting for TCU. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they were America's team by far. You know, to see somebody, you know, upset the the giant known as Georgia trying to def- you know, I think it's clear they're gonna be rooting for him. Oh, and TCU like, in the over. Small, yeah. Tom is American. Yeah, he's on that bandwagon. Yeah, he's been Tom, on it though. He's done it a bunch this year. He hasn't faltered. Tom is America. TCU and the over. I would if it if this thing like if pros do come in and just like hammer Georgia and this thing dances out to like a 14 and a half, then you're almost like taking then, then I'm taking TCU just because it's like, well, I mean, I'd like to see a close game. You know, I think yeah. they can stay within two touchdowns. That back door is never going to be closed when you've got Max Duggan. I saw that man like do incredible things this season. And why does he bruise like a peach? Why does Max <laughs> Duggan always have these bruises and these cuts? Like I, I understand it's because he's willing to take contact. And it's he's a redhead. We love They're kind him. of fair. Yeah, he's, are kind of fair skinned. He's a fair skinned boy. He bruises mm-hmm. like a peach. <laughs> I'm 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 a little worried about Max Duggan in this game because of the physical. Uh, yeah, like yeah. he can will his way. Kansas State. He put his body on the line. It was exhaustion. And he, was, you know, you could see how physically spent he was. I don't. Good luck against this defense and this. You this know. TCU offensive line has impressed me. You know, mm-hmm. like over the course of the season, they don't face like. They don't face Georgia every single week, but got a little bit overwhelmed against Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. But you still have done, they've still done a pretty good job this season. Um, and you know, Mac, Max Duggan sacks that he takes are not always on the offensive line, as Tom said earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else team total wise, or anything that you would? I guess the props won't be out till closer to Saturday. Yeah, I don't know if the, I got to write a post on that today. I don't know if I'll, there are I'll give you one. I think Stetson Bennett rush yards over. That's I don't I don't think I don't think Kirby wants him sitting back there and trying to like if 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 what they scheme open isn't open I don't think he wants him like sitting back and trying to like work the second third re I, I think it's like hey man you see you see green grass go take it ain't nothing wrong with- I got to see what the number is obviously but yeah, like, yeah you know it'd be good if they post seventy five and a half no. <laughs> <laughs> well I told Stetson there's nothing wrong with seven yards. If okay. it starts with a two, then I'm, I'm, I'm liking that. Yeah, se- seven yards is always a good thing. The player props in college, would they come out like day of? I, so. They might be out earlier now. But yeah, they might be out there's, now because it's a title game. There's some uh, some rushing props out now. Yeah. Uh, Stetson Bennett rush yards uh, over nine and a half at draft. Okay, there we go. Hold on. What? Over. Oh, yeah, interesting. Text, text my people with DraftKings. Hold on a second. Let me. <laughs> I just I got a call here. I got to take mm-hmm. it real quick. Nine and that a seems low. That's yeah, that's a mistake. Hey, um, as as our friend Jonathan Coachman says, it pays to watch live. Anybody who's watching live at YouTube.com/slash Cover Three got a number that ain't gonna be there by the time you listen to it uh, on the podcast form because Bud Elliott just hit up the syndicate. And, uh, and that thing, that thing is going to start move in the other direction. Um, that is placed. Yeah. So, Danny, Georgia, lay the points, uh, and like maybe under. under, but maybe under. Tom over in TCU, Bud under. Yeah. If I had to, maybe Georgia. I just, I, it's I don't know. Like usually the numbers on Make these national titles are right. Yeah, yeah, Fine. Yeah, Fine. Give me, give me Georgia. Uh, 
And I, I don't like I don't I don't hate Georgia first half either laying the seven. I, I I think this could be one where I'm texting the group chat like, can we go live like like early fourth quarter? <laughs> Georgia's crockpot in the <laughs> night sleep. <laughs> yeah. Cinderella's you know slippers stomped on type thing. I guess I don't know. I'm gonna go Georgia and I'm gonna go under. Uh, yeah, especially at twelve and a half. Again, if it's a fourteen and a half, you yeah. gotta you gotta do it for America and uh, and and jump on this at least being entertaining all the way down the stretch. Uh, but that uh, always something to keep an eye on. All right, with a little bit of time we have left. Oh, ho, ho, ho. before we start with Petrino, I just want to say one thing. I've been a good boy. I haven't brought it up. We had to expand the college football playoff to give more team shots to win national titles. Last year, Cincinnati reached the college football playoff, had a shot to win a national title. This year, a TCU team that went 5-7 and seven last year and was unranked is playing for the national title against the defending champion on Monday night. You did not need to expand the playoff to give more teams a chance to win the national title. You just needed more teams to start winning games. Thank you. Let's talk about Bobby Petrino now. All I can say is, ha ha, we got to because it's going to be awesome no matter what. Mm-hmm. So who cares? I I realized while watching the Cotton Bowl that there are going to be some great, wouldn't it be hilarious playoff losses. Mm-hmm. And USC and Lincoln Riley are probably going to be a part of the first couple. I got that watching the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. So we had a conversation on this podcast in like early December. Like, okay, Chris Hummer is reporting that Bobby Petrino is a candidate for the offensive coordinator job at Texas A&M. We spent a whole segment, you know, detailing our thoughts on it, the way, the reasons why it worked, the reasons why it might not, how you know Bobby Petrino is not one to be pushed around. Therefore, it might actually be something that could be good for Texas A&M's offense in general. We discussed the makeup of that wild Texas A&M coaching staff, which you know also includes Steve Adazio, um, DJ Durkin, um, James Coley. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a bunch that they've got right there. Um, and then all of a sudden, he's the offensive coordinator at UNLV. So after about three stellar weeks at UNLV, Bobby Petrino, which, again, on brand for Bobby Petrino, to accept a job and then three weeks later take a better job. Uh, Did he leave notes in the lockers? I mean, he's <laughs> so he's on his way to College Station. Uh, he will be the new offensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Um, so it's actually happening, guys. Is this going to be a good thing for Texas A&M? I think it's all or nothing. I think it's all or nothing. I think this comes down to, and this is what I'm curious to know what you guys think, because this is my read of it. They met a month ago, had these talks, and money's not an issue, right? Texas A&M, we can pay whatever we want. So what do you think the, the hang-up was? probably over control of the offense. And as Jimbo's going around, surveying the landscape, he says, well, maybe there's a tug of war a little bit in that initial meeting. And they say, all right, you want to take UNLV? Go ahead. You take NLV, UNLV. And then as Jimbo keeps going through this process, you know, either interviews or not good fits, and he's having the same issue, Jimbo's probably like, ah, dang it. I'll just give him control. And that's where we are today. I mean, is that how, is that how you guys read it too? Because that's how I think it's played out behind the scenes. And if that's the case, if Jimbo is hands-off, figurehead, recruiter, media, game day decisions outside of the offense, I think it could be a home run 
But I also think it could be a crazy combustible mix that could blow up and be an absolute disaster because of the two personalities. And if you throw in DJ Durkin, it's three pretty strong, hard and a Dazio. And a Dazio. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, like, is your, is your, is your strength coach for- open? Like, like, like maybe we can get one of these these fire strength coaches to come in there. <laughs> so, Evan Stewart, five star wide receiver, stud, tweets dot 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 in the wake of the news. Maybe I don't know, man. I'm not going to interpret the like cryptic tweets of a 19, 20 year old, but I hope he's on board because. You're bringing in Petrino. You're hoping that he's got this superstar future NFL wide receiver talent that he could be able to scheme open in uh, in Texas A&M's offense. I think that schematically it's similar to what Jimbo runs enough to where like Jimbo can tell himself like, hey, this is still my offense, if you will. And Petrino is a really good play caller. Obviously, like if he's not in a sort of a supervisory role, that'll help quite a bit. I think um, maybe limit the interaction he has with players on the team and certainly with anybody from other sports, like they have a football in the facility. So you probably don't have to see people from volleyball. Um, you know, look, this could also go really poorly, clearly like the, as, as chip noted, but Petrino is a great play caller. I think like, it's also good because unlike the OCs that Jimbo has had there, I think Petrino will not take Jimbo's lip, right? Petrino has like, like millions of dollars. He's already been successful in many places. He will give Jimbo the middle finger if Jimbo tries to meddle with him. You know, and I say meddle, like I'm assuming that they're going to let Petrino call the plays. Like if you're Petrino, you don't come there. That to me non- is what the hangup was, don't you think, Bud? Like why maybe he didn't take it right away? Probably also like did, Optics, did, did, did the league wait. office did the league office have to approve this one? Because yeah. I mean, you know, like there's some from an HR perspective, what went down in Arkansas makes him a tough hire. It just does, right? Like, but at the same time, Auburn just hired Hugh Freeze. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Thank you. Yeah, it's Ma- the maybe SEC. That's, we can get maybe past that's those appeal. Yeah. Maybe they're like, hey, like, you know, Greg, you let them hire Hugh Freeze. Like, we 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 can hire Bobby, right? Um, I mean, just the variance bands on this are just so big. Like, we don't know. Like, it, I, I think it'll probably work out. I'll probably be the dummy that that fires in like a fifty to one, t- you know, Texas A and M national title future <laughs> next year just because of talent and you know. It's going to show up in one of those 12th man out that like overalls that they wear. I'll burn it in week one. Yell leader. Yell leader, <laughs> Bud go. Elliott. Yes. 2023 storylines. Right. Or am I doing it right? Yeah. Tom's, Tom's got the. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am. All right. So this is again reckless, but like, does Jimbo want to get fired? I mean, I, I, or at least, at least he's approaching. So this is like an office space situation. <laughs> he's at least approaching the like staff building process from a perspective of someone who believes they are untouchable or is just like actively tanking, right? Mm-hmm. Or this just is making him laugh. Or he and Petrino are like closer friends than I realized. I didn't think that they were like buddies. I don't always have them circled, but you know, after seeing Jimbo go for Saban's throat last May, I I don't think that I know Jimbo. You know, like exactly sort of what circles he's running in. But I he he seems to believe he seems to believe or has to think that these moves cannot be criticized because of an eighty six million dollar buyout. I don't know. 
Okay, who gave him the buyout? Because that's the guy who's the most nervous, I think. Ross Bjork. Like, if you're Ross Bjork, like, okay, this staff has Steve Adazio, DJ Durkin, now Bobby Petrino. I don't think you can really put Jimbo in the same category. Like, they haven't had the whole scandal thing going on. So, I mean, this is this got to make you nervous to have this many uh, potential liabilities in your like under your employee. Also, you gave Jimbo the huge contract extension after a COVID year and you're basically like the results are real. They're going to continue. And then now the evidence looks like they're not. I, I think West Virginia might open though next year. Probably will. Right. <laughs> Country road. I think, home. I think everybody that knows college football has had the exact same reaction that we have like, Oh, how are they going to get along? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I, that's all. I think that's what it's all about. Like, if they can get along, check the egos at the door, figure out a structure of communication that works, it could be phenomenal. But like, if there's a season that falters, like this season, this thing is going to go off the right. There's going to be screaming matches on the side. I mean, Jimbo wasn't afraid to scream at Jameis and grab. Like, I don't know where Petrino is going to be on the sideline or in the booth. I hope he's in the booth, for, like, so that you don't have the optics. But there could be some yelling matches. But if they're strong enough egos where they're like, hey, that's just game day atmosphere, put it aside, could be great. I mean, he's a great offensive mind. Just envisioning the guy on the sideline whose job it is to hold up the play cards, like with all the pictures on it, and Jimbo and Bobby are both tugging at each of his arms trying to get him to hold up the card he wants him to hold up. <laughs> Congratulations. SEC Network. Congratulations, Texas A&M. You have almost half of the ACC Atlantic on your coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think, I was like, for only like a billion dollars, you've got the ACC Atlantic. Jimbo, Bobby, and Adazio had at least a couple spring meetings at Amelia Island together. And they were, and they were all in the same Maryland's old ACC too. Or same division. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were all in the same division. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, they all played uh, each other every year. No, Durkin was not at Maryland no. when they were in the ACC, right? Yeah, he was not. My, they were an ACC. That was my. Yeah. Because you know, their last ACC year ties. was 13. But I was yeah, thinking like these coaches have actually year. competed against each other. Like if if Jimbo is sour about how Lamar ran it up on him at the beginning of 2016, then that, that might be bubbling beneath the surface. Bobby's guys walked into the huddle in, in, in that, that, that year that Lamar tore him up and just started talking smack to him. Like, I mean, it was. I don't think Bobby was well liked within the ACC, SEC, whatever conference Missouri Valley State's in. Do uh, you think Bobby's been well liked anywhere? The NFL, <laughs> et cetera. I, I will say this too. Like, on, on a note, like I've heard Bobby talk about this, how he really wanted to get back in college to more of a mobile quarterback because he thought there were some things he could have done with Vic that he didn't do. And he got that guy in Lamar. He's definitely like more about the QB run game stuff mm-hmm. now. And it will be curious to see how Jimbo and those guys use that because Bobby runs a similar offense to what Jimbo does, but he is a little more college gimmicky. And so I think he will kind of pull Jimbo, maybe kicking and screaming, a little bit more into the modern era. Remember he used that again with Christian Ponder, though, at Florida State. He ran him a lot. When Jimbo is desperate, he's pretty good. When he thinks he's got the guys to do it, he wants to run just his stuff. It kind of feels like to me. Unfortunately, Texas A&M's loaded up with the most talent possible. So, congratulations! <laughs> you're, you're just only, uh, only the purest of passing concepts in College yeah. Station. <laughs> mm. um, North Dakota State, South Dakota State. Anybody gonna fire on this one? North Dakota State. 
North Dakota State plus the points. But Luke wait on it. Two people, keep, people keep betting South Dakota State. I, I, I think you may be able to get a better number here. Okay. Lipke um, two plus touchdowns if you find it. Alt line? Wait, no, what no, you no I'm saying Lupke to score two plus touchdowns if they offer it anywhere. Okay. They offer player props on the FCS. I mean, it's the FCS national championship game. They yeah, might. They might. Yeah. I mean, I'm look, looking look, for it. Probably, but yeah, like you, you can probably get down like a hundred bucks. Yeah, Bison plus the points. Don't don't talk. Don't give the dynasty points. You're gonna make the dynasty a principal. You can't give dynasties points. You cannot give dynasties points. We are men of principle, and that is our fire on the FCS national championship game. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott three. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all.